Hi there, this is Boggle Docs, the podcast that equips you to be prepared for patients consulting about current sizzling media issues. I'm Dr Nick Kendrew, a GP with a keen interest in how medicine is covered in the media and how we can use that to make both our patients and our own lives easier. Stay tuned as we look at how a very painful and debilitating condition is looked at in great detail on screen and how it's important to show such things in a balanced way. This is what's coming up. Most of our patients who suffer with it are in tremendous pain, especially early on in the condition, and and it's miserable. And I think they, I think they got a, a, a degree of that over. You know what a what a miserable condition it is. You know, pa- patients are often they can't find a comfortable position. They often end up sleeping in the chair. I mean, you know, imagine night after night sleeping in a chair, and even then they're not comfortable. Even with a sling on a support and analgesia, it's still painful. It's a it really is, um, a, you know, and it goes on for months. It's really, it's really nasty. You wouldn't wish it on anyone. And I think, I think that um, some of that did come over, um, which was, which was great. Um, and I think there's always a balance here, Nick, when we are trying to convey conditions and what they may look like between actually giving people an insight um, versus actually um, making them frightened and scaremongering. <laughs> Dogs. Amongst other things, we'll be talking about diagnosing this condition, what imaging is indicated and what the treatment options are. But for now, let's start things off in the usual way with a smile. This was the week that the news outlets were reporting on a one-eyed cat who was reunited with his owner after going missing five years ago. It emerged that over that time, he'd been a regular visitor at Her Majesty's Prison Grampian, where the prison staff had looked after him. He eventually turned up on a North Sea platform from where he had to be flown ashore. The crew of the offshore platform fed their unexpected visitor on chicken from the canteen and called in the Scottish SPCA. His delighted owner was quite shocked to have him back. And this is Boggle Dogs. Hello and welcome to your happy place. With that feeling that you get when both your trainees pass a rather important exam to become a GP. Well done you two, I'm very proud to be your trainer. We're here to keep you going during these difficult times as we take a more human approach to the medical world and learn something along the way. Boggle Docs is the podcast for GPs and allied healthcare professionals that's accessible to everyone. It takes the pulse of the nation by looking at medicine in the media and uses that information as a springboard to help you target your CPD. And all of this is aimed at giving us the heads up so that we might have an inkling of what might be on our patients' problem lists so that we know what we need to know. Please follow and rate this podcast because that's really important for all the algorithms in the world of podcasting. Boggle Dogs with Dr. Nick Kendrew.
And this week, I'm joined by Dr. Mike Horsfield. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? I'm really good, thank you. Um, and I just wondered, um, often I get my guests to introduce themselves, so um, I wonder if you'd mind introducing yourself to everybody that's listening, please. Yeah. Hi, uh, my name is Mike Horsfield. I'm a GP. I work in East Lancashire. Um, I, I, I live in Yorkshire, so I've got to cross that border every morning. Um, we work <laughs> over two sites in, in Earby and one in Cone. Um, and, um, and I'm just... I, I, if you like a, a normal GP, if there is such a thing, and um, and I've uh, I've been there at the practice now for about twenty years. Um, I've worked in um, in Burnley, um, and I worked there as a GP with an extended role, and I did that for about seven years or so. So that was in MSK. Mm-hmm. I do a bit of teaching at Bradford University on the postgraduate diploma for musculoskeletal medicine and rheumatology. I'm a tutor there with a with a colleague of mine. And then I work for Red Whale. Um, I work as a presenter for Red Whale, and I also do authoring for them. So that's helping um, write articles in the handbook, keeping the handbook up to date, um, and writing the, the slides um, for the presentations. So that keeps me busy. Exactly. And that's how we know each other. So, um, so yeah, it must keep you very busy. So, so thanks for coming along today. And we will reveal shortly uh, what we're going to be talking about. But um, I like to ask my guests just so that we can see how, how things are with them. Um, a few questions. So, so I normally ask them um, about a life hack. So, so Mike, what would be your life hack at the moment that's getting you through the day? Well, I think my life hack would be um, would be my standing desk. I think um, both at work in the in the surgery and at home, it's good to change posture, um, stand, have a bit of a stretch, and mm-hmm. um, and I've actually stood up for this um, so that I'm not all um, all crunched up while I'm talking to you, and, uh, <laughs> Excellent. and I, can, I can move around a little bit and speak normally. Yeah, and it's really good for the vocals. I have a standing desk for doing this as well. So um, I'm actually sat down though at the moment. I should confess. <laughs> um cool so that's all good i've also got a confession to make nick what's that in the surgery when i've got my standing desk I, I tend to do my phone calls using my own mobile phone and the great advantage of that is that you can wander around <laughs> while you're talking to your patients doing your telephone triage <laughs> so Excellent. it's fine until the patient says to you and what was my hemoglobin doctor and then you've got to you've got to quickly <laughs> get back to the computer and, and check, but and it's check all good. the results but i do i like to i like to work uh, to roam to, to to be uh, to be roaming while I'm I'm doing my triage. Well, that's great. It gets your steps up, doesn't it? So that's all good. That, that's another life hack then. So thank you. We've got two for the price of one. Brilliant. <laughs> um, now then, if we were watching a musical of your life, sat down in the the front row with a bag of popcorn. Oh, no, you wouldn't do that in the theatre. That'd be bad, wouldn't it? But if we were, um, what would be the song that would be being performed at the moment, Mike? Uh, that's a, a good question. I I think it would. Actually, I think it, you know, I think it would be Bicycle Race by Queen. Okay. <laughs> the reason for that is because life feels like a bit of a, it feels very high, fast paced, doesn't it, at the moment, mm-hmm. life. Uh, very busy. I think everybody's busy. Um, but also I like to get a bit of exercise and uh, and keep myself fit, especially on my bike. So, so I think Bicycle Race is probably the one. Brilliant. Well, thank you for that. Um, and so Mike is joining us today and we're going to be talking about a show that's been on BBC Two recently, Your Body Uncovered with Kate Garraway. And the reason for that is that it takes imaging inside the body to the next level. It's an absolutely phenomenal program. And when I've been watching it, I've been thinking, my goodness, so many of our patients could well be watching this and thinking about visiting us or talking to us about a problem that they've seen or something that they're worried about. Um, and so we're going to be talking to Mike a bit later on and we'll be revealing and what 
which particular issue we'll be covering a little bit later on as well. But first of all, let's have a look at the past week in the news headlines. On Spotify, on Apple and on Google Podcasts, on your favourite app and on your smart speaker, this is Boggle Dogs. And we start with the Express. Uh, High cholesterol, the colour of your nails, could be a symptom. Great way to spot it. So they are using a medical director from a cosmetics company as their source material. Uh, They're talking about high cholesterol here and they say that one of the One of the signs of high levels of cholesterol can crop up in your nails. Uh, She says high cholesterol levels can block, uh, cause blockage of your arteries. Here's the thing, they say, (laughs) the extra cholesterol is deposited in your arteries forming a plaque. It's this plaque that makes the arteries narrow with large deposits blocking them completely. Narrow or blocked arteries limit the blood flow to various parts of your body, including your nails. It says here, this can leave your nails with dark lines underneath them. Although high cholesterol is referred to as a silent condition, dark lines under your nails is one of the great ways to spot it, according to the article. This sign is sometimes also referred to as splinter hemorrhages. Uh, so there we are. Now, I don't think I remember particularly that being from medical school and from finals. Um, however, I will put a link in the show notes to Dermnet NZ, um, and it's got all the different causes of splinter hemorrhages. doesn't seem to be mentioned in cholesterol there, um, but um, obviously we know about infection and things like infective endocarditis, which is probably the one that we all sprung to mind. Um, other systemic diseases, Raynos can cause it as well, and some drugs too. So I'll put all that in the show notes for you to have a look at. Next up, it's the star. Millions of men admit they are not okay and rate mental health just 6 out of 10. One in three men often feel lonely, but nearly half have never opened up to anyone about how they're feeling with fertility issues being the most off-limits topic. Um, This is a poll of 2,000 males uh, revealed that they rate their mental health on average 6 out of 10, but those as young as 18 feel just a 5 out of 10. Dealing with health conditions, um, poor eating habits and pressures at work are among the top reasons men have struggled with their mental health in the past 12 months. Others claim not being in a relationship, life changes such as a breakdown of a marriage and scrolling through social media can affect their general well-being. But 44% have never opened up to someone about how they're feeling, with one in three often feeling lonely and 35% actively avoiding conversations with others about their mental health. And finally, it's The Times. Now, this is the headline here. Menopausal women face HRT rationing to ease supply crisis. GPs could be told to limit how much hormone replacement therapy they prescribe at any one time as part of efforts to tackle shortages. Pharmacists said that prescribing for six months or longer had recently become more common, exacerbating supply issues. Department of Health and Social Care officials are considering limiting prescribing cycles as one way to lower pressure on the supply chain. Uh, They said last night, experts proposed giving high street chains more power to amend doctors' prescriptions if a prescribed drug is unavailable. Sajid Javid, the health secretary, said on Sunday that he would appoint an HRT czar to tackle a shortage that has left desperate women seeking therapies via the black market. Some are said to have been made suicidal by menopausal symptoms in the absence of treatment. So has there been a story that's caught your eye this week, Mike? Yeah, there has actually. Um, I don't know if you saw it in the news, Nick, but there was a thing about prostate cancer and bugs in your urine. Did you spot yes. that? 
Absolutely. And we, we ha- featured it on the, the news headlines last week in the podcast. Um, so I just wondered if you can maybe give us a bit more flesh to the bones on that story. Yeah, no problem. So I had a look into this and I saw it was featured in a lot of the mainstream media. So it was in The Guardian and they said that there was a discovery of bacteria linked to prostate cancer hailed as a potential breakthrough. BBC News covered it and and the Bolton News was very excited <laughs> saying five types of bacteria were linked to aggressive prostate cancer. So big news in Bolton. <laughs> so I had a look at this and this was a study performed um, in Norwich um, by East Anglia University. And it was published um, in, the, in a journal called the European Urology Oncology. And it was, a, it was actually um, a prospective cohort observational type study. So it was just looking and following people. It wasn't randomised. It wasn't a controlled trial um, comparing a treatment against something, a a placebo, for instance. And they looked at the uh, urine samples collected from men who were, by the sound of things, going through a fast track clinic. Mm -hmm. And then they followed up and observed um, these men over a, a period of time, up to six years in some cases, both those that didn't have cancer and those that did end up having cancer and then they, they did fancy microbiological tests and <laughs> used um, used a gene kind of, I don't understand this, Nick, it's really, it's really quite complicated, um, kind of genetic tests <laughs> and, and RNA sequencing um, and things like that to, to identify the types of bacteria that were in there. And there were, they identified bacteria that uh, were, they were novel bacteria, so pre- pre- presumably um, previously unidentified, and they gave them um, names that I can't pronounce, I remember, and um, and they did show an association. What, wasn't one of them a really odd name? And it was something like yeah. Well, they were all odd names, to be honest. But didn't they didn't they name one after Prostate Cancer UK or something? So it, it's like Prostate Cancer UK. <laughs> or something like that or have I completely made that up oh, I don't know I've not spotted that maybe I think they named one after a, uh, the name uh, they, they, I think they named one after an individual so there's the there's the species and then the genus isn't there and they named yeah. one of the words anyway somewhere in there was was named after you know one of them was called Colin or I can't remember the name so apologies <laughs> to 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 whoever it was if you're out there listening <laughs> but there was there was one of these bacteria that had a name in in there somewhere yeah um, but yeah they did all these they did these fancy tests and um, and 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 did show that there was an association between certain uh, certain bacteria in the urine and and those having um, a, aggressive um, prostate cancers but it was it was we can't really extrapolate I think is the message um, so there was talk in the media about does this herald treatments you know giving people antibiotics and and um, and and can we use a urine test to detect prostate cancer and, and we're, we're a long many steps of evidence away from anything like that this is an association at the moment exactly so it's an association not causation um and it's because the holy grail with prostate cancer has always been can we tell if this is an aggressive prostate cancer or not um and i think from reading it the the thinking is that if this is correct and if this becomes if they can prove it's a causation then we're we're moving forward in that way and then it will you know make sure that we have some treatments as well that we can use um whilst we were talking i just did, did a quick check um and Yes, one of the bacteria has been named after Prostate Cancer UK, and they've named it. Um, I, this is how I'm going to try and get it get it right, but I get it wrong. I'm sure it is. Um, so it's very, very baculum prostate cancer UK ER. 
<laughs> Fantastic. There you are. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you oh, for amazing. that, Mike. That's really interesting. Yeah, I'd, I'd read through that, but only looks at the species. <laughs> that was really interesting to hear that. And, um, and thank you very much for putting some more flesh on the bones of that story. Uh, so Mike is going to come back and talk to us in a few minutes about your body uncovered with Kate Garraway. Uh, but first of all, let's have a look at the week in daytime TV. And on Tuesday on BBC Morning Live, they had a special video that they released featuring Dr. Poonam Krishan going through inhalers and inhaler technique after they had lots of questions about it after she mentioned it in last week's show. And I'll post a link to the video for that in the show notes. On this morning, on also on Tuesday, a leading allergy expert, Professor Adam Fox, was on with his top tips for managing symptoms. He talked about the symptoms and the impact on lives, including affecting exam performance. He advised that you need to ask for a long-acting, non-drowsy antihistamine over-the-counter. And he said that saline nasal sprays are surprisingly effective and also that pollen barrier balms can be effective. And washing your hair before bed at night means you don't transfer pollen onto your pillow you go to bed he also advised that if you have hay fever if it's bad enough to need a steroid nasal spray uh, then you should start to use it before the hay fever season starts and he also had a top tip for putting in eye drops all of that is covered in the video which i will post in the show notes On to Wednesday and this morning we had Dr Zoe Williams and she was on with the health headlines. She talked about Liam Gallagher needing a hip operation um, but not wanting to have one due to the perceived stigma. Now Zoe discussed with Philip Schofield and Holly Willoughby that Andy Murray had had a hip replacement and had gone on to great sporting success afterwards and several high profile music performers had been fine with theirs too. So they challenged the stigma idea and they said that if you need a hip replacement then look at the pros and cons and make an informed choice but don't let a phobia about a procedure cloud your decision making next up zoe looked at an app that can detect covid from the sound of a cough with a success rate of 92 percent in a study group of 700 participants to put it in perspective a lateral flow test is about 72 percent accurate she told us but philip and holly highlighted the fact that if you haven't got a cough then it might be a bit limiting because neither of them had a cough when they had COVID. So that's the limitation there. Uh, next up, Zoe was talking about uh, medication overuse headache over the headline in The Sun that said that women in their 30s and 40s have been warned over popping painkillers for headaches. Um, and finally, Zoe discussed the Daily Mail and their headline, scientists say that the way you talk could help diagnose a range of conditions from heart disease to Parkinson's after a computer-based algorithm had been developed that can use the voice and differences in voice to diagnose serious health conditions. They claimed that their diagnosis of severe heart disease was comparable with an angiogram. Now then, not strictly daytime TV or not daytime TV at all, but this bank holiday Monday in the UK in on the evening, it's a nine o'clock, Channel 4 are showing their new documentary, which is Davina McCall, Sex, Mind and the Menopause. Davina McCall explores how menopause can affect the mind with memory loss and brain fog decimating women at work, plus the latest advances in hormone therapy. It's the follow-up to her documentary from last year that everybody was talking about. It was huge. This is also going to be huge and you need to watch it so that we're all ready for all the phone calls that we're going to be getting about it next week. 
And you can also join me next week for a special Boggle Docs all about it, where once again, I'm going to be joined by the fabulous women's health team from Red Whale, of which I'm lucky enough to be a member. Um, and we'll be having a closer look at the issues that they cover in the documentary and supplying you with all the resources that you need to deal with the increased consultations that we will get about the menopause and HRT. If you have any questions that come to mind as you're watching the documentary that you want me to put to the women's health team, then please tweet them using the hashtag hashtag BDDose or slide into our DMs on Twitter or Instagram where we are at BoggleDocs or email us and our address is BoggleDocs at gmail.com and all of that is in the show notes. Boggle Docs. Yeah, now it's time for the main part of the programme and Mike is back with me and we are talking about Your Body Uncovered with Kate Garraway, which has been a show that's been on BBC Two recently. And what they say on their website is, see your body like never before from the inside out. Kate Garraway and Dr. Goody Singh use the latest technology to help patients understand their everyday medical conditions. Now, I watched this with interest and when I was watching it, I thought, this is amazing. I've never seen anything like it for um, showing patients inside their bodies. But I also was thinking, my goodness, why didn't I think of this? Because I've been watching all of these these um, shows where they do design of houses and gardens when they use the virtual reality. So actually, it's a really obvious next step if you're trying to look inside the body. And um, so I'm kicking myself that it wasn't my idea. Um, but Mike's here to talk about it. So Mike, what do you think of it? Yeah, like you, Nick, I thought it was absolutely amazing, the the imagery and the, the use of the virtual reality. Um, and, and maybe, you know, looking forward a few years, who knows whether we're going to be putting those VR goggles onto our patients in, in, in our, in our surgeries, um, and, and pointing out bits inside them that they can walk around and touch and ask questions about. Um, not necessarily their own imaging right there and then, but, um, but certainly just models that we can use, like a beating heart or a, or a bone or a joint that we can look at together. Absolutely. And I think it really does take communicating with patients to the next level. And it also, I think it takes explaining things on TV. And I think there's a massive educational use for this, for this as well. So the program we're going to talk about is in two parts. We're actually going to focus on one of the parts. But in this, Kate and Goody meet Hilda, um, who's a fashion influencer suffering from fibroids, who confronts her debilitating condition. So we, we're not going to talk too much about that, apart from the fact that it was an amazing insight into a patient with fibroids. But we're going to mainly talk about grandmother Trudy, who is struggling with a frozen shoulder. Because Mike, you do a lot of work in musculoskeletal medicine. So how did you feel that, that Trudy's condition was looked at and dealt with? Yeah, it's an awful condition, frozen shoulder. Um, most of our patients who suffer with it are in tremendous pain, especially early on in the condition, and and it's miserable. And I think they I think they got a, a, a degree of that over. You know what a what a miserable condition it is. You know, pa- patients are often they can't find a comfortable position. They often end up sleeping in the chair. I mean, you know, imagine night after night sleeping in a chair, and even then they're not comfortable. Even with a sling on a support and analgesia, it's still painful. It's a it really is, um, a, you know, and it goes on for months. It's, re- it's really nasty. You wouldn't wish it on anyone. And I think, I think that um, some of that did come over, um, which was which was great. Um, and I think there's always a balance here, Nick, when we are trying to convey conditions and what they may look like between actually giving people an insight um, versus actually. Um, making them frightened and scared. 
cat-mongering. Um, yes. and, and if somebody's starting with Frozen Shoulder, they think back to the programme and they have this horror story and they're thinking, that's going to be me. And, of course, then we, we've got all the catastrophic thinking and the fear avoidance that we, we don't want. So I think there is a balance, but I, and I think it probably did that just about right because mm-hmm. I watched that and I didn't think, hang on, um we've you know we're 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 big in, we're, we're overblowing this um but at the same time i think it did it did um uh, make us appreciate what the impact may be day to day exactly and on on the show it said that one in 20 of us will have a frozen shoulder but i wonder if you could just um elaborate on what the actual the natural history of frozen shoulder is for patients that get it. Okay, yeah, sure, yeah. Um, the natural history is that it's usually an insidious onset of, of pain initially. Um, this is traditionally called the freezing phase, um, and it can last, you know, six to eight months. Um, and during that time, you gradually lose a range of movement, and it's external rotation that is is usually most severely affected. That's the hallmark, really, um, loss of external rotation. And and this is this phase where they really can't get comfy and they've just got terrible, terrible pain um, and they gradually lose this range of movement. Um, and then and then the next is the, the frozen phase. And during the frozen phase, the good news is that the pain gradually subsides, but the stiffness um, remains. And then the final phase is the, the thawing phase um, where you gradually get a, a return of the range of movement and and usually this is this is a, usually a really good return. Um, it's it's often not a hundred percent of what it was before the onset of the condition, uh, but a good outcome will be you know high nineties percent wise. Um, there is a school of thought that says we should ditch the old freezing, frozen, thawing, and go to a kind of a, a painful stage followed by the painless stage, if you like. But that's another way of looking at it. But the natural history. It depends what you read in terms of duration. A lot of articles will will quote maybe six months for each stage, but actually, okay. you know, um, frozen shoulder it can go on and on. And and I I like to set the stall out early that you know this could last two two and a half years rather than saying you know don't worry it's going to have gone in eighteen months. Because you know you're setting yourself up to fail. You're not going to have a patient knocking on your door saying. Nick, you said that this would last two and a half years. It's 18 months. The pain's gone. What were you thinking? (laughs) But of course, you've said 18 months and they'll be knocking on your door at 19 months. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, it's still there. What's happening? So so I think it is important to set out expectations early in this condition. But I mean, the good news, if there is any, um, that really is a silver lining is that ultimately it's a self-limiting condition that that, that does see itself off, but it just takes absolutely ages. In this case, they were saying that, that Trudy, the patient, she'd had um, the, a, she'd had a scan and the scan had confirmed the diagnosis. Um, now, I'm guessing that was an MRI scan because it didn't say for sure, I don't think, in the programme. But uh, is there an element that you can actually make the diagnosis clinically without needing a scan? Yeah, it's a great question. And um, and yeah, you're right. This is This is, by and large, a clinical diagnosis. It tends to follow a fairly classic pattern. Uh, of pain and then lost that loss of external rotation so if you've got somebody with that stiff shoulder in your surgery and they're fit in terms of the you know the age group and there's not been any trauma and there's no red flags and and they've got this this gradually worsening horrible pain and lost this external rotation then it's it's almost certainly going to be a, a frozen shoulder however it's worth thinking about performing a, a, a plain x-ray 
in these patients when they've got this stiff shoulder because you don't want to be caught out. There are occasionally times when you, there might be something um, small print going on and, you know, you can get that x-ray and it will it will help to rule out um, most of the nasties. Um, so x-ray, if you're going to image, I would say, yes, I would x-ray a stiff shoulder. Ultrasound. <laughs> uh, so ultrasound in, in, in primary care for shoulders. I, I would really discourage the use of ultrasound in primary care um, for the vast, vast majority of shoulder problems. I think if you're going to image, then that should probably be done by either an MSK clinic or orthopedics, um, because it usually doesn't help your management. And most ultrasound requests tend to go through for, for what ends up being a subacromial pain syndrome, or a, if you like, a rotator cuff type problem. Um, and of course, the prevalence of um, asymptomatic cuff tears is, is huge. And so, you know, what happens is you ultrasound somebody and it shows a partial tear of their cuff and it's like, oh, that needs fixing then. Well, no, it doesn't. That was probably just there. That was an incidental finding, most likely. So um, so it doesn't tend to help us. So we get at MSK Clinic, lots of very helpful um, scans have been done. But of course, it very it confuses the picture and it makes it quite difficult to untangle sometimes. MRI, you mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I spotted this. This was perhaps my only criticism, really, that, that they said uh, something along the lines. I forget exactly, but it was something along the lines of, and of course, you needed a scan to confirm the diagnosis or something. Mm. And actually, the, the minority of patients end up needing an MRI scan um, for diagnosis of, of a frozen shoulder. Um, MRI scans, again, probably not the ideal investigation for a shoulder. The, the great advantage of ultrasound is it's a dynamic scan. So you can move the shoulder around and, and at the same time, have a look and see what's happening to the tendons and the muscles um, and the capsule. Whereas MRI, of course, is fixed. It's a snapshot and, and we'll just show the shoulder in one position. Um, so I rarely see MRI shoulders being done and certainly not in the routine diagnosis um, for frozen shoulder. Excellent. Thank you. Um, but I have to say, thank goodness she did have a scan because then it meant that we had some amazing pictures to look at um, and they put the virtual reality headsets on and they were able to look inside her body and look at her frozen shoulder. And it was her shoulder, which was phenomenal to see. Um, and what was really interesting was that they actually initially showed how a normal shoulder would look and how the capsule worked and what the capsule does Um and it was just amazing to see that. And what was amazing as well was to see her reaction to that because she was being, she was having it all explained to her and you could kind of see everything falling into place. So she knew exactly what the problem was and what the plan was and what they needed to do with her proposed treatment. And I wonder watching the whole process, if down the line, when this becomes more of an option with patients in the future, and it will, I'm sure, I mean, we're probably about 10 years or more away from that, but, but, um, once patients can see inside their body like that when they've had a scan and they have everything explained to them like that, will we see better outcomes, do you think? Because because patients are more involved in their care. They feel like they know what's going on. They're more invested in it because they, they're just more informed. Yeah, I'd hope so. I, th I think it's... I think it's one of those things that's really difficult to predict. Um, and it's, it's it might be one of those subjects that produces one of these trials that <laughs> that gives you a complete opposite answers. But yeah, I would hope so. And certainly, you know, like say education and involvement, investment in the process and an understanding of what's going on, we know is really important for, for, for most MSK conditions, especially those that produce chronic pain. Um, 
you you do sometimes you do sometimes find unexpected results, don't you? That you know you you show somebody and 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 they look at that and they and they just they're horrified and and then they go into that whole fear avoidance and you know mm. it triggers. So so I don't know. I think I think on balance it probably will be helpful, um, but maybe this patient selection might be important. Um, you know, as a as a primary care clinician, you perhaps know your patient and you know whether they would respond positively um, to certain information um, in terms of, you know, showing them this really angry looking um, uh, capsule on that shoulder um, or whether they'd take it in their stride and, 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 uh, and, and help to plan and build on their treatment. And what did you think of the way that it was all explained? Because you mentioned there the angry capsule and it really did look very angry and it was great tv because it, it really showed the difference between what the capsule should look like and, and what it looked like in, in this patient so what did you when you kind of went through the the images and it was shown on the screen what were you thinking when you saw all of that yeah um well i i saw that actually and and i i I think I've got to be honest with you that I've never really given it much consideration what the capsule actually looks like not being an orthopedic surgeon mm. and and the 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 last time I was in orthopedic theatre was when I was um, when I was probably when I was a medical student, and obviously that's not that long ago. But I can't remember what um, what a, a, a capsule looks like in a frozen shoulder. I don't know if it is. Maybe it is really red raw. Um, it's a capsulitis implying inflammation. Um, but uh, but I you know it, it looked quite alarming when I looked at. It, I thought, oh, that looks terrible. Um, <laughs> so, but I don't know if it's true to life or not. So I've got to admit. Yeah. Well, let's give them the benefit of the doubt because I'm, I'm, it seems that they were showing things that were um, meant to be medically correct. So let's, let's give them the benefit of the doubt on that one. Um, and, then, and moving on to to the treatment um, that was offered. Um, so it looks like what they were describing for, for Trudy was that she had a steroid injection, but also there was um, so she had an injection of saline to stretch the capsule. Um and I thought that was really interesting because is that now gold standard treatment or is that still an option? And there's lots of different options around that they're not quite sure which is the best option yet. Um, it's, it is an option. Um, and so so just to clarify, what, what they they talked about giving her an injection and, and, and they talked about this injection um, reducing her pain and increasing her range of movement. And at that point, I'd, I got a problem with that because corticosteroid injection can be really helpful in reducing that early stage pain, but it does not alter the natural history. It does not influence the range of movement. And so you've got to be really clear before injecting, doing an intra-articular shoulder injection that, that it might help the pain, but it won't help the stiffness. And they were talking about this in, in terms of improve, in doing the in, increasing the range. But then when it came to it, actually, they didn't do just a simple intraarticular injection. They did a hydrodilatation, which, as you mentioned, it's it's injecting um, saline under pressure. And the idea is it stretches and strips the capsule off the shoulder joint um, to stretch it out. And that can result in an increased range of movement. Now, you asked whether or not that was, if you like, a gold standard treatment or an option, um, and it it's an option. I don't think there is a gold standard treatment yet. I don't think the evidence is strong enough to show that one thing is um, is amazingly better, head and shoulders above everything else, and that is what we should go directly for. Um, however, our local pathway does suggest it's an option um, in those patients who, who may benefit. Um, and of course, patient selection is important. 
Um, and and it can be done as a stepping stone before they get to the orthopedic upper limb surgeons um, to consider arthroscopic release or a, a manipulation under anaesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, so it may well depend on your locality and what your pathways say. Because it certainly looked like it was quite a painful procedure. It did, didn't it? And and I've never, my colleagues at the MSK service um, do them, but I've never actually seen one done um, because I'm usually in the uh, in the other room seeing more patients. <laughs> but um, but the but um, but it wouldn't surprise me if it was painful. The solution uh, will there will be local anaesthetic though. So. Um, so I, I've got to say, having never done one, um, I don't know the order in which it's done, but it, I, I would I would expect that there is local anaesthetic, certainly within the solution and perhaps a bolus first. Um, but the local anaesthetic should help to alleviate um, a good a good chunk of that pain. OK, thank you. Um, and have you got any resources if people want to go and do a little bit more research into frozen shoulders and what we can, you know, how we can help to manage our patients with this? Um, have you got any resources that you can signpost us to? Yeah, sure. Um, if you if you happen to have access to um, our red whale material, then there is uh, there is an article on shoulder pain um, and that's that covers uh, treatment options. Mm-hmm. The nice CKS um, series, they have a, an article on shoulder pain and there's some stuff in there on frozen shoulder. Um, there was a study in the Lancet um, 2020, um, which was the UK frost trial, um, which looked at, at, uh, at various interventions, although there wasn't um, hydrodilatation was not one of their studied interventions. Um, but I can, if you want, I can tell you a little bit about the UK frost Yes, please. Okay, so UK frost trial done in uh, that was published in the Lancet 2020, and it was a UK-based um, study. It was a it, it was three arms. Um, excuse the pun. Um, <laughs> it was a superiority randomized controlled trial about 500 patients um, with a diagnosis of a unilateral frozen shoulder, and it compared um, manipulation under anaesthetic to arthroscopic release uh, with um, uh, and the third group was um, a physio and steroid injection intraarticular corticosteroid injection um, to see whether one one was superior to another so what did they find um, well arthroscopic release was statistically more superior but not clinically more superior um, so the numbers look better when you ask the patients whether they functioned better, whether it made an impact. It wasn't actually um, any superior. And arthroscopic release had more adverse events. The next group was the manipulation under anesthesia. And this happened to be the most cost effective option, presumably because you only had to do it once. And then the third group was the physio and corticosteroid injection group. And this was non-inferior to the others but proved more costly than the manipulation under anaesthetic, presumably because you have to go back time and time again. Um, Overall, there was no significant clinical difference in these groups. So it didn't didn't really matter um, clinically which you went down. So it sounds like it's a work in progress as to what is going to end up being the gold standard treatment uh, for frozen shoulder. If indeed there is one that stands up above the other treatments. Yeah, I think at the moment there's no evidence that one stands um, stands out as, as clearly superior. Um, so it comes back down to patient selection and patient preference, because certainly 
you know, if I had a, a frozen shoulder, would I? I mean, it's difficult to put yourself in that position. You, you, you might find that you've, your opinion changes when you're in the position. Um, but, you know, I, I wouldn't, whether, whether I'd fancy an arthroscopic release or whether I'd go down the physio, or, you know, you can see how patients will be polarised and saying, you know, I'm not having an operation. Um, I'll just stick with the physiotherapy. I might consider an injection. Whereas the other person might say, I'm definitely going for the manipulation because I just need it to move. I'm a self-employed joiner. Um, and I, I need to pay the bills. I need it right as soon as possible. You've mentioned patient selection a few times. And apart from their motivation for a particular treatment type, can you just run through the other things that would actually influence the kind of selection for a patient for different options? Yeah, a whole host of things, actually, Nick. Um, so there's, there's patient comorbidity. So if we're, if we're sending someone for, for orthopedic surgery, um, they are not going to be desperately keen on doing a manipulation under anesthesia of people with lots of anesthetic hazards. Um, mm. And let's say, for instance, a frail osteoporotic 90-year-old lady um, you know, we don't want to be doing a manipulation on her because she perhaps at the risk of fracture. Um, whereas, like I said, somebody who's young and fit um, may well be a great candidate for that kind of thing. Um, there's obviously patient preference in terms of their their attitudes over 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 surgery versus more conservative uh, measures as well. Excellent. Well, thank you, Mike, so much for coming in and talking to us today about your body uncovered with Kate Garraway, um, looking all about a frozen shoulder in this case. Um, and I'm sure you'll agree that the imagery and the images that we saw, the virtual reality inside the body looking at the frozen shoulder were amazing um, and really took things to the next level for that patient. So thank you so much, Mike. And um, I'd love you to come back in the future if we have other MSK things to talk about or anything else that you want to come and talk about. It'd be great to have you back in the future. Thanks, Nick. It's been an absolute pleasure. And off he goes into the distance. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> now, I've posted loads of resources in the show notes, as always. And uh, let's just quickly run through them. So we've got uh, Mike's song choice, as we discussed earlier. We've got all the different headlines. Uh, we've got including the link to the Dermnet NZ, all about splinter hemorrhages, and also the Bolton News that Mike was talking about. There's all the daytime TV videos. So we've got the asthma inhalers, uh, hay fever and allergies, and the health headlines. Uh, there's also a link to the Davina McCall Sex, Mind and Menopause documentary, which goes live on Channel 4 on Monday night at 9 o'clock. Um, so you, there's a link for that when it's on and afterwards. And don't forget, we've got our special episode next week on that. Um, then we've got all the stuff on uh, Your Body Uncovered, um, including Nice CKS on Frozen Shoulder and the Lancet 2020 UK Frost. And also, if you have a subscription to GPCPD, there is the Frozen Shoulder article there for you as well. Some of the links are now in the show description on your preferred podcasting platform. But if you head over to the Buzzsprout site, then you can click on all the links that we talked about, uh, which are in the show notes. So if you click on the transcript tab, then all the links are there for you to click on to. And please do take a look because I put them all there myself. And I'd love for you to get the fully interactive experience. And the easiest way to do that is just to either Google Buzzsprout Boggle Dogs, or you can go over to our social media pages and click on the link in the bio. And we are at Boggle Dogs on Instagram and Twitter. And if you want me to see something about Boggle Docs, then please use the hashtag B 
BD Dose. Now, I'd love to see your one sentence summaries of what you've learned by listening to the episode, particularly this one, because there's lots that, um, that we covered um, in the Frozen Shoulder episode. Um, or if you learn something mind blowing, then start your tweet with an exploding head emoji, please. <laughs> the other thing that you can do if you click on the link in the bio is to leave us a voice message telling us about anything that you've heard or seen and think that we should include, um, including things that maybe you've seen on, on Med Twitter. Or, um, or you can leave us a message about something you've heard on Boggle Docs. Uh, you can also email us now and our address is bogledocs at gmail.com. And thank you for all your emails that we've had so far. We have some great suggestions for programmes to cover in the future. So thank you for those. Um, now, that is just about it from me. So thanks again to Mike for being such a great guest this week. So will we have patients worried that they may have a high cholesterol because of their splinter hemorrhages or might it be infective endocarditis? Maybe. Um, will we have patients wanting advice on hay fever or allergies? Possibly. Or could we have patients who've seen the documentary and would like to discuss their frozen shoulder? Well, now you are ready for them and you can take it all in your stride as best as you can. Now, if you remember, last week's Boggle Doc Song of the Week was from the soundtrack to the new Netflix show Heartstopper. It was Dover Beach by Baby Queen, the perfect song for springtime. And was I right about that show? If you've not seen it yet, um, then do yourself a favour and binge watch it over the weekend. Social media has been set on fire by Heartstopper. Uh, it is an amazing show, so watch it when you get a chance. Now, this week's Boggle Doc Song of the Week, how do you follow that? Well, it's It's a Sin from Years and Years. And of course, Ollie Alexander from Years and Years, he played Richie in It's a Sin. So it's very appropriate that he's singing that. And if you've not seen It's a Sin... Um, where have you been <laughs> um, go and watch it if you get a chance um, and then listen to our episodes all about it uh, because they are some of the most amazing conversations that I've had with guests about a TV show so um, there you are they're all back in the back catalogue now I'm Nick Kendrew and you can find me on Twitter at Nick Kendrew that's N-I-K-K-E-N-D-R-E-W uh, and until next time whatever you're doing when you listen to the podcast whether you're out for a run whether you're doing chores around the house um, or if you're on your way to or from work maybe you're even moving house um, <laughs> take care look after yourself and I'll see you soon take care bye bye Boggle Dogs.